What is up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Fractal Exploratorium. Yeah. I am your host, DJ Brule, and here is my hype man, Nit Tantillo. I'm super excited today because we're doing this in the daytime rather than like 10 o'clock at night, and I'm actually in a good mood. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to sit through DJ's theories and uh, try to add some value, so... Let's make it and, happen. And to be a hype man. You're just hyping it up. And, in the and beginning, hype, man. yeah. So, so that also helps. So today's episode, we are going to be talking about something called dendral architecture. So we're going to deal a little bit more in the realm of third dimensional phase space as far as fractals go. So I know sometimes I mention a fourth dimensional phase space, a fractal that occurs within a fourth dimensional space. That is a fractal that isn't just geometric in shape, but has the coefficient of time added to it as well. We're going to be actually talking about geometric shapes this time. So everyone's favorite. Uh, you can grab your crystals and look at your sacred <laughs> geometry. <laughs> Whenever I think of geometry, I just think back to like second grade when I was learning about circles and squares. But that's just my you know elementary view on life as usual. That, that's a lot of people's elementary view. <laughs> on life so now okay I, I know i mentioned uh that pseudoscience geometric uh, or sacred geometry um no the, the this the geometric figure of this doesn't give your building power or doesn't uh uh summon aliens or something crazy <laughs> I, I don't know what these people come up it's with not nowadays like extraterrestrial no but I, I i mentioned it and everyone's like oh sacred geometry it's like it's not some sort of crazy sacred thing all it has to do with golden ratios and sacred proportions which is mm. the only reason the ancients enjoyed it so much is because the math works nicely it looks good remind me to bring up sake uh not sacred you got me saying words remind me to bring up the golden ratio in music later on in this episode i'd like to tell you my experience that I learned in school about Oh, that. yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, let's talk about that now. Right now? Yeah, let's talk about it right now. Lead it off? Yeah, let's, let's see what's going on. Well, when I was in school uh, for doing audio production technologies, we ended up talking about like composition of music. And there was an actual phenomenon that there was research put into. Um, and it's, it, it ended up being the golden ratio. And I learned about it. And it says that, or the theory states that, I think it's like three quarters of the way through a song or 66% of the way through a song or there's some certain ratio of like a way through of music um, that like 98% of music at that point is like it climaxes or it, it it holds your attention or I can't remember what the exact stat was, but it was something centered around like it was a specific point in the song where um, either it was like 100% of the listeners convert and finish the song or like that like 98% of songs climaxed at that same that same spot because it, it's like just so happened to be the right point and people don't even like try to do it. It just happens. Um, I don't know if that's at all what you're talking about, but it is, no, it is. It, it definitely is because golden ratio isn't just like some sort of geometric form it's a, a mathematical sequence so two quantities of so the golden ratio if the ratio is the same as the ratio of the sum two larger of the two quantities so if i have a first segment that's one and one the next segment equals two so mm -hmm. the two first sums of the of the two first segments are equivalent to the net sequences sum if you get what i mean it does make sense so uh, there's kind of like a having or doubling quality to it if you go up or down the ratio right and and, and that number if you take that if you take this ratio and add the square root divided by two you get 1.6180 which is the golden ratio number 
I think I've actually uh, also heard about this 1.618. You said it were 1.168 number. And that sounds familiar at some point in my life. So I I feel like this has been This is well this is a golden ratio. I've talked about that. But this has to do with the Fibonacci sequence fractal, which I've talked about in previous episodes and I like to use the Fibonacci sequence fractal as a, a basis for a lot of floor plans for architecture. So that comes into play with the whole third dimensional phase. For what base reasons of it. do you do that? Efficiency. It's a it's a fairly efficient design. It has kind of a natural flow to it. And the way we go operating in our house has a kind of natural flow to it. So the way the way we line our houses now a lot of times doesn't make any sense with our daily routine. The way that we light our houses? No, the way that we uh, light, the way our floor plans are laid out. Oh, okay. Are are not, well, they, they don't go along with our daily routine, our right. daily patterns. There's no, there's no like rhyme or reason to that. A lot of times there isn't. I mean, unless they're really good architects, they try to, but this, this creates kind of a natural curve and flow. It's not very rigid. It, you know, it has a natural feel to it. And, and something is inherent in us that calls us back to nature and calls us back to natural forms, which is probably why when you go into the forest, you feel refreshed or you feel just like you feel more alive when you go out Mm -hmm. into the environment, when you go outside and experience life for what it is. And I think there's something inherent within human nature that beckons us and calls us back to it, back to its very source. I think that also you feel small when you go out into the world and you actually start, you know, seeing all of the things that are at play that you have no control over. I mean, it, it's really humbling to sort of, you know, understand that you are just one little piece in this, like, grand scheme of things. Well, yeah, I mean, whenever we examine nature, our, our insignificance becomes more and more, right. more and more apparent. I mean, there, there's nothing... There's nothing like going out to the beach and seeing the enormity of water to right. reflect back on the human conceit of importance. I mean, aren't aren't humans just more? Um, what's the word? I just had it on the tip of my tongue. Aren't we almost like out of our place to, you know, kind of be destroying everything? And I mean, aren't we kind of overstepping our boundaries? I mean, you could make an argument that nature is, you know what's supposed to be here and, and humans more or less, you know, we don't really have a place on this earth. Well, we, we do have a place on this earth, but we, for some reason, are, we don't, we're seemingly uncomfortable on this earth as if we don't, we don't belong here. I mean, we inhabit environments where we need air conditioning. For example, we live in Phoenix, Arizona, where we could, we basically couldn't live outside without this air conditioning. Oh no. We, we, we have to condition our, we have to take our house down, what, how many degrees? Like 30 degrees to be comfortable? At least. That's insane. I mean, it gets up to 120 here, and we most people have their house around 77 degrees. So you're talking like 43, 40 to 45 <laughs> degrees. <laughs> One of the things is we're not comfortable in our own in- environment, so we constantly need to manipulate and change them for some reason. Right. But everyone's comfortable in California. <laughs> 
You go there, and you don't need a you don't need the AC unit out there, really. Nope. We do now. It's like when warm. you go to the beach house, or like not even the beach house, but you just go to California or some of these other states, or even if you go to like Flagstaff, Arizona, which is just up north of people here are listen not are listening and don't know. Um, but generally, you go and you, you open up all the windows, and you don't use AC. I mean, Flagstaff they actually don't have AC in Flagstaff. There's no AC units, so even in the summer. Uh, it's it gets real. There's heating units though. Yeah, there's heating units. That's for sure. But um, people have to just use the the outdoors, and that's crazy to think, you know. But it's 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 apparent to me that we are obsessed with Goldilocks zones. Goldilocks zones, like perfect zones somehow. Not too hot, not too cold, just right. And our planet is in what's called a Goldilocks zone. By the way, that's what they call it. That's where it's not too hot for water to become steam and it's not too cold for water to be frozen and this is all year round i mean which is why we can live here yeah that's the only reason we can live here because it's just in a liquid state which when you look at it in relative terms of temperature differences it's kind of insane that water only exists in a liquid state between certain temperatures between 32 degrees and uh, about 200 degrees that's that's Kind of not much. I was going to say, I guess you can think that's not a lot considering, you know, if you think about your oven, your oven like starts out at 250. When you press bake, it starts out nice and low. And then you go up to, you know, like 400, 500 degrees uh, to think that, you know, 32 to 200, that's not a lot. Oh, well, you go, okay, well, that's almost 200 degrees difference. Yeah, but in the in the scheme of things out outside of our planet, those... Those number extremes don't exist. Uh, they're, they're way more extreme, I mean. Like like infinite? Well, no, not infinite, but they're, I mean, some areas of space are close to point zero, and some are the burning hot core of a sun. You know, like it, that, that's why when we look for stars, it's so easy to use, to, to look for it with uh, infrared. Because a tiny little bit of temperature difference is super bright compared to the cold blackness of space. So that's why we use infrared to discover stars. Because just a little bit of heat is, you know, way different in, in the extreme well, cold. Well, it's easy for them to stand out. Well, yeah. Against like what you said, a cold black. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's why we, we use that to search for other planets and... But I don't believe that's the point of today's episode. No, we're getting close to the point of today's episode, though. The whole call to nature and everything has a, has a purpose. Because we're talking about something called dendril architecture, which means an element that is shaped like a tree. A dendril is, is like a tree shape. And architecture that is shaped like a tree is architecture that's more fitting and similar to nature so it's an area called biomimicry so that's mimicking a biological form and turning it into an artificial human created form and this is something that is pretty near and dear to my heart and as well as something that's incorporating a lot of my architecture uh, a lot of my architectural designs and i'm just now discovering that some of the architecture I was creating in sixth grade, people said I was crazy when I first went to architecture school, uh, or camp, rather. I went to Franklin yeah. Wright Architectural Camp yep. up here in Taliesin West. I remember that. And I would design buildings that looked like trees. And everyone's like, oh, that's cute, but not really practical or anything that could ever be 
done. I and mean, you were always building buildings that looked like trees, even when you were making your popsicle stick buildings, you know, even exactly. not at the camp and stuff. And I, I come to learn recently that I was probably onto something because these dental supports happen to be fractally designed. Fractally. Fractally as in fractally and also fractally as in like it's a fractally thing. Like <laughs> It's a fractally thing. And this comes from something called the Serpinski gasket, which are uh, it's basically a triangle and then triangle shapes within the triangle and then that same pattern repeating in on itself infinitely. And what's interesting is that if you take the geometry from the Serpinski gasket and you rotate it, you start rotating the triangles up, it becomes a dendril shape. It becomes a tree-like shape. And as I've discussed previously, trees are actually fractals within themselves. They have the same branching pattern that branches infinitely off of themselves until they become leaves. So if you look at the branches of a tree, you could take like a picture of a small part of the branch and then say that's the trunk and blow it up, you know. And if scale looks seemingly irrelevant, you wouldn't know the difference between that being a main branch or a secondary branch. It goes all the way back to like episode one of the whole entire podcast when you were talking about how if you look at a river versus like a little stream in your backyard, they're going to look the same, but at just different yes, scales. Exactly. Well, that's the whole scalier fact about uh, fractals. But, okay, so these columns that hold up roofs, they look cool, but what's the point other than them looking cool? Well, they are the embodiment of the idea of ephemeralization, which is doing more with less. And if we are going to have a resource-based economy or an economy that's based on the carrying capacity of the earth, we need something that is going to reflect that. We need something that's going to do more with less. So, for example, one of the things we've done more with less is look back in the day when it was the 70s. Look at the computers they had then. Super slow, extremely slow by today's standards, insanely mm -hmm. slow, painfully slow. And they were massive. They were about the size of a whole entire room. Mm -hmm. Now your watch has more computing capacity. It does. That is doing more with way, way less. And that's more sustainable. Imagine if all of us had an entire room built as a huge computer as our com personal computers. Wasn't there a time at or one point in time when people had like computer rooms? Yeah. something like that yeah like now, they had like a whole space that they had to put it now your lap could be a computer room yeah exactly <laughs> your laptop or your watch yep. which i don't think you have on you know your apple watch i don't have it on right now but either, either I, way it's got more computing capacity yep. than the way back then see now that is the embodiment of it um, moore's law which is responsible for that is the embodiment of doing more with less and that's potential growth that has to deal with doing more with less and, and that and that comes from the uh resistor capacity the spacing of each resistor, which are now down to an atom thick resistor capacity that could go within a chip. And so that's huge. Resistors used to be this massive uh, cathode tubes are what they used to use a lot mm. of the times for resistors. And they were just like massive? Yeah, they were huge. They were these huge tubes. Um, kind of like what's in your amp, like those tubes in yes. your amp. Yes. So well those, those are those aren't necessarily resistors, more capacitors but still uh, an, another element that goes within uh mm -hmm. computer so you use these big ass tubes well this graphic that dj was looking at on screen here kind of trying to explain to everybody the the triangle he's speaking of and how it opens up into an actual tree-like figure it's it's really really unique to see it 
you know, actually see it. So DJ, can people somehow find what you're looking at to see that image that was kind of opening up into uh, what almost looked like the support beams of like a building? Yes. Uh, all you have to do is look up uh, Serpinski Triangle on Wikipedia. And on the right, they have all these different pictures and animations about the fractal. Mm. And one of them, when you zoom down, is Serpinski Triangle outlined by a fractal tree. So you just came across this and, and found out that, it, I mean, did you just stumble upon the fact that this was, uh, there were fractals involved in this? Or, I mean, how did you make this little discovery? I semi-stumbled, semi-didn't. Uh, I was trying to design a off-the-grid house for a friend, and I wanted to start using my new fractal theories within it. Because the fractal architecture is a relatively new idea. I've yet to really put it in to too much practice other than what i've inherently done without any knowledge about like stuff that you just did and you didn't even know it was fractals well i, I was obviously designing dendrils when i was in the sixth grade you could vouch for that aspect mm-hmm. uh, my architecture was designed like a tree and my my thinking on it back then was and still is rational thinking on on why that's why that's the case and the reason I did it was for efficiency reason. I saw the efficiency that a tree was able to grow and how a tree mm-hmm. is essentially a network of nutrients transferal, how it can transfer uh, sunlight back down to its roots and how it can soak up nutrients from the ground as well as water. And I trees are it, so big too. They're they can huge, hold but, so much. But they're, they're, they're perfect. Every, every single you know, different node of the tree is... Is contributing to its whole. So, you know, the, the, the leaves aren't there just to bring nutri- you know, just to bring sunlight to a central core area. You know what I mean? They're not all they're all working in tandem with each other to produce a living organism. Uh, kind of like how your body works. Your body isn't well, your body more so takes nutrients and air in to support your brain. Mm-hmm. Well it's like an interdependent system. It is like an inter yes, exactly. That's what I'm going for. Inter interdependent system. And the whole point is is that uh, uh, us as a human race individually we might not be an interdependent system we might be trying to support just our brain structure you know keep our brains fed alive energy thermal all, all that is to keep our brains alive but us as each other us as a network and a sociological standpoint we're that same type of system we're a system that works individually for the whole of the greater good or at least we should we obviously don't do that much anymore, but that's the that's how we survived. That's where how we evolved. We evolved to be uh, an interdependent system that contributes to the whole of the greater good, not just towards one center. So, right. not not like working to make a certain group of people the winners in the society, which I'm right. really against. So, it, it, so thinking about that and designing a tree to worked like that just made sense to me it made sense as a network of of individuals independent individuals making interdependent system so i know these aren't related really at all but we talked about earthships a few episodes back when we uh uploaded your lecture to the podcast which was awesome and you guys can check that out on youtube if you haven't look up dj brule earthships and you'll find that lecture in video form or just fractal architecture or fractal architect really okay awesome and um but one thing that's kind of funny that i think you're talking about interdependency and sort of the idea of the tree it seems like an earth ship 
in its own way is sort of totally interdependent. Every uh, piece of the Earthship, everything that ha serves one function almost serves multiple functions or, you know, is like piggybacking off other things. You know, it's like all interdependent. You know, it, it's all every piece has a purpose every piece has a reason to be there and it has multiple reasons it almost seems like that's kind of what you're talking about in this little tree interdependency analogy and actual i mean it's actual it's actuality it's it's a physical design but you know i think you're kind of saying like every piece of the design should rely or not rely but you know give something else to another piece and and be interdependent upon and well that's how anything works in a complex dynamic system all inputs are individual inputs into an interdependent dynamic system. So that's how the ecosystem works. That's how plants work. That's how pretty much everything works. Everything is its individual thing uh, within, which, which is kind of a fractal, if you think about it, because it's a repeating pattern in on itself and relative to scale. And so think about it. A tree has interdependent aspects to itself, and then... The tree is an individual in an interdependent system of the whole or greater ecosystem. And that repeats. And that repeats. And you go up in scale and you have a planet within the solar system. Everything is a part within a system. And everything is necessary for that system to work. So, for example, if we didn't have our moon, our Earth is doomed. And if we didn't have Jupiter, our Earth was probably doomed. Interestingly enough, Jupiter prevented a lot of major asteroids from hitting our Earth more really commonly. Because it, what it did is it flung all the asteroids outside of the system using its gravitational pull, and it accelerated and flung most of the, most of the major ones into the outer parts of the solar system. Mm, so they were like kind of a trajectory for us, but yeah, kind of like sweeper. You know, like th things come and sweep up the 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 crap from the inside. Mm -hmm. You know that that's uh. That's a secretion disk that's formed after a supernova uh, or uh, a gaseous nebula Nebula that's, uh, that's forming. It forms a secretion disk of junk that forms into planets around the sun. And so, I mean, think about that. That's, that's a kind of interdependent system. <laughs> I guess it is. I mean, it's almost to say then that the Milky Way is only a is a part of a bigger system and then that system is a part of a bigger system and it's like you just like you said the fractals it's like what scale are you looking at it on yeah well it, a relative scale i mean then you, you look in the, the the very small the scale the very small you know you have you have atoms and then you have quarks inside the atoms and then you very possibly have quantum foam at the smallest level or perceived smallest level we don't know it, yeah, because like, how do you know that, you know, a, a cell, very small, how do you know that there's not stuff smaller than that? Well, this, we know there's atoms. Well, we, there are We know there's quarks, <laughs> there's, there's bottom and, uh, and top quark, and then we think there's quantum string at the very fabric of the universe. But who's to say there's not something smaller than that? Who's right. to say there's not something bigger than our, uh, our observable universe? We don't know. We just right. don't. We just don't know. And maybe outside of our observable universe, we're just a small atom in another universe. We don't really know anything. No, we don't know. We don't, <laughs> we don't know shit. We think we know so much, but we don't. That's that's why um, uh, quantum physics is quote unquote so uh, I, I guess sexy now, according to everyone. Why? I don't know. Just quantum physics seems to be the hot new thing. Because we don't know. We don't know as much as we 
maybe should so you can be well, kind of people, the first one to make people discoveries. Can, people can use their imaginations with it. People can go crazy. Sci-fi loves to use quantum. They just throw in the word quantum and then they go, oh, well, it might be possible. We, we don't know because we don't know anything. What's quantum mechanics versus like quantum physics? All right, you really want to get into this? This is no, supposed to I be mean, a short I, episode. Well, I mean, and now you, you're asking big questions. Technically, we only have like another 15 minutes left before this episode's over. So maybe another, we'll have to do another episode. We'll talk about it. In next couple episodes, we should talk about quantum everything, just the quantum level of things. Well, okay. So I, I could give you a brief difference. Quantum physics has the word physics in it. So we're dealing with physics on a quantum small scale. Quantum mechanics deals with mechanical systems. Mechanics. The mechanics of how the world of the small works. Does mechanics have to be very taken literally and have to be actually mechanical? Or are we talking no. about like the makings of the world? Yeah, we're talking about that. <laughs> I don't mean mechanical in the sense of like a machine put together. But semantics at this point. Oh, man. That's going to be an episode where we definitely need longer than yeah, just... We're, we're not getting, I'm not getting into it. I'm, I'm just telling you that there's uh, physics as, as a word in one, and and quantum is just saying small. You know, the, the study of the extremely small. I didn't know that quantum just means really small. And it makes sense now because people are always saying quantum powered this, quantum powered that. And I'm like, oh, okay, now that makes all sense why they talk about that in our cell phones and all that BS because... We're trying to have as much power and as much small amount of uh, space as possible. Quantum computing. Yes, quantum computing. That's exactly kind of what I was thinking so, about. So, I mean, that, but that's what people do. And they, they, they actually made fun of this use, uh, liberal use of scientific words in Rick and Morty. I found hysterical. Well, Rick and Morty is awesome and they make fun of everything. So Yeah, they do. <laughs> He's like, he, he says, um, is, is it the quantum carburetor or something is what Morty says. And Rick's like, you can't just use some sort of sci-fi name in, uh, uh, in, in a car name and put them together. He's like, okay, how about we go in the micro battery, <laughs> the microverse battery? <laughs> Oh, no, multiverse battery. Yeah, multiverse. You know, they're just making fun of how, like, you know, all these all these sh- sci-fi shows just throw... Just throw words around. Oh, it's the quantum uh, fluctuator. <laughs> that, that's technobabble. And that they hold, like, like, no weight. That, like, Star Trek does. And it's like, all right, you just threw some, like, techno words together and was like oh this is uh this means something scientific i mean that's what i think you used to do or not think that's what i thought you used to do when i was a little kid but you know what? it all makes sense and no it all i came don't together, do that so. i try not to fucking ever do that no you do your research before we come on <laughs> here yes, i try to do my research i don't want to look like a complete idiot not complete no just just someone <laughs> <laughs> so anyway back, back to what we're talking about so the the whole reason is that these fractal supports are able to more efficiently support a structure than regular columns, reducing the amount of actual resource material that goes into supporting a roof. So the really, really cool aspect, here's here's where it really starts getting really cool. Since the fractal tree design is derived from the Sierpinski triangle fractal, if you take that Sierpinski triangle fractal and you put it into a geodesic dome, the geometry lines up perfectly for the supports to meet up with the structural support members. Just by and, chance? Well, not by chance, but by ratios, by mathematics, golden ratios. So since they have the same sort of geometry that's extrapolated from the geometric triangle, the geometry can easily be connected to the roof supports. 
so these trees can easily support a geodesic figure. And geodesic domes are another use of ephemeralization, doing more with less. So, naturally, you can make ginormous structures that span huge, massive areas. And where this was perfectly shown was in a case study I did of the New Mexico City Airport. Mm. New Mexico told me about the this. New Mexico City Airport is supported by uh, dendral type supports that are attached to a geodesic outer skirt. How new is it, or how old is it? Super new, extremely new. I'm I'm not sure it's completely done yet. I think it's somewhat done. This is Mexico City. Yeah, New Met, uh, not New Mexico, Mexico City. Yeah, I, I don't know if I said New Mexico. I think you said Mexico, but maybe also said New Mexico. <laughs> I don't know. Earthships are in New Mexico, so I might even think of that. But no, Mexico City Airport is what has this, and it's an extremely advanced design. It's a shame and a stain on American society that we'd have nothing. Now, even close uh, technologically but, but what teams built that you know like what teams built the i guess what i'm saying is like could couldn't have american builders or american architects built that place and then just got contracted out by yeah the we, we, we could but we're not going to put money into it because we don't do a shit we care more about mm-hmm. building stupid barriers and walls between us than we do actually building up our world right but so who built the mexico one i mean like did americans build that or was that a no. mexican company no, that probably well, built the, the, that we could we could build that it's not like we don't have the technological capability to do it but i'm asking who built the one that exists our architects in Mexico, I'm pretty sure they paid for local architects. I mean, it goes back to the economy. If they didn't, that'd be kind of dumb because that's money that doesn't reimburse into the into the, their own economy if they don't do that. That would go into the American markets mm. if they hired someone from here to do it. Right, which wouldn't make sense for them. No, to I'm, be pretty like sure, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I haven't looked too much into the actual architects that did it. I just looked at how they did it. I haven't looked at who, but. I'm fairly certain it was local architects. Uh, I could certainly pretty much say, but the only reason it got built is because they were able to put the money forth for enough tax money into it to build it. Regardless, it sucks that American, you know, culture wasn't able to get there first. I mean, not that it's a race. I hate that everything has to be a race, you know, in a way, but it, it seems like we, we've been capable of doing something like that for and a you, while. And you know what? I wouldn't. I wouldn't rip on America so badly if we didn't go around screaming we're the best country in the world all the goddamn right. time. Well, then why are we behind here, you know? When we're like 43rd in child mortality, and that's that's ridiculous. But we're not going to get into the politics. No. Nope. <laughs> well, we're going to get into the politics of why our architecture sucks. I'm going to get into that. Yeah, I was going to say, this isn't a political podcast, but honestly, we went back and spoke, you know, again, in the first episode or first two episodes about how politics are a part of architecture. And, you know, the political system has a lot to do with what you can and can't do and where you can and can't build things and how you can and can't do things. And I mean, it's uh, it's not, it's definitely not something that you can overlook as an architect, I feel like. Well, because it, it comes to this inevitable conclusion right here. Here's the you want to hear the inevitable conclusion? I do. The inevitable conclusion that everyone asked. Okay, you talked about all these great things, dental supports, fractal supports, doing more with less. Why aren't they being used in our buildings? If they're so great, because code. why are they not being used? Code is an aspect of it. But I talked with. I've mentioned before on the podcast that I work for a structural engineering company called Gannett Fleming. And within the company, I asked one of the senior structural engineers, hey, like, 
why aren't we using any of this cool new technology? His main response was, well, that's not what we've always done. And in order to have skilled laborers to build the new design would take more money in construction, not in parts, in construction. And it's because the construction method. Then I asked, okay, well, what if these supports are 3D printed and milled in a, in a type of way where robot arms are able to mill and put together these supports? Would they cost a lot of money then? No, they wouldn't. I'm like, well, why don't we do it? And one of the problems is, and, and this is one of the issues, is that when we get a building and we go to support it, the client doesn't care about anything flashy. They want something quick, cheap, and they want it done. I was going to say, they want it quick. It, they just want to see the, the thing happen. They don't really care about how it's really affecting. Well, a lot of people would, I guess, but I'm, I'm saying your main 80%, you know, if you 80-20 it, and you say the 80% of the people won't be interested in that, you know, the, the impact it's making or the way you're doing it. They just want it to be done. They, yeah, just, we want deadlines, we want budget, and if you do something outside of that norm, then there's an uncertainty to it. There's an, oh, we don't know if it's going to work, it's uncertain, it's not a proven method, even though you know it'll be cheaper, it doesn't matter if it'll be cheaper, it's not, it's not known, it's an unknown. Mm -hmm. And when we go to structurally support something, uh, all, the, all the engineers go and we hit the books and we look at what size we need for what load and then we call it a day. And that's it. We let the butts do most of our designing than us actually going outside of our comfort zone to do something different or new. But your company also probably isn't, you know, it's not part of their mission statement to be revolutionizing the way the architecture is done, or that's probably not part of their mission statement to go and try something new. And I feel like a lot of times with these companies, especially in a, you know, a company this legitimate or a bigger company, I feel as if, um, they have to they have to go with their mission statement and well, if there's if there's something new and a, a groundbreaking they need to be a company that's just focusing well, on that well every institute and every business inside of a capitalist society's mission statement is to make profit 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 that's all our society gives anything about that's all we care about we care about nothing else. And you know what? It's not the fault. I don't blame the companies. I don't blame my company for being all about profit. They wouldn't survive as an entity if they didn't. In this competitive market, if you don't care about profit, you're done. You're doomed. And your entity and your institution will not survive. Nope. And then you can't pay the bills and then you can't live. And then you're, well, you know. So, you know, in, in order to preserve self-preservation of an institution or an entity, well, you are you have to make profit and in order to make profit you have to have budgets and having budgets you also need to have deadlines and all this is what leads to us just not caring and just not putting the effort which is why i believe true advancement cannot exist within a monetary system cannot happen real true radical changes to our world cannot happen within the existing systems it is impossible and we could use fractal design and fractal architecture as much as we want, but if this isn't a concept that's able to catch on, then it, it won't work. But here's the key. The key is to make the architecture so good, so cheap, that everyone has to change over to compete with it, that their entity will die if they aren't able to compete with this new era of architecture. That is my goal, to create an architectural style that cannot be competed with that my company would not be able to compete with because why would anyone want it when the other companies are producing so much better quality and so much better uh, uh, cost-effective structures?
You want to be essentially the go-to answer because it is the answer. Nothing else. It's just flat out better. It makes the, more sense. Use the system to destroy the system, essentially. But technically, you're not like monopolizing something if you're if you're allowing other competition to still be in play and whatnot. I mean, if you're just the best and people just come to you because, you know, that's what you do and and your and your idea is revolutionary and it's it's not stuck in the past. Then well, take take tech industry for example. Take your iPhones for example. If you just wanted to make the same brick phone because that's what's worked and that's what's good, would you still be in business? Mm. What do you mean? Would your company still be in business if you made brick phones or flip phones? Oh, like the old phones. Yes. If Probably. you didn't update your phones to the newest technology, would it still exist? Probably not. People would probably not buy it. So that's in the tech industry. Why is that not in the rest of the industries? Why would right, the structural engineering saying, use the latest, greatest technology that's better than the other one? So you're saying, why do things not cycle out? Why do, why do like old, old theories not cycle out? Yeah, so why do some industries radically change, like your phones? Like if, if, because it's not detrimental. Because making a new phone or making a phone better doesn't equal you know, a, a, a building falling down because you're trying something new. No, but it is detrimental in a certain way and it isn't in, a, in another way. It's not necessary to make the greatest and latest new phone. But people want the greatest and latest new phone. And I, I think the difference is, is that customers aren't buying buildings. So, yeah. So, th- this, is a sh- this is a short episode. Like I said, we just wanted to talk about dendril architecture and the fractal supports of that. And hopefully we could start implementing by what I've done talking about, by using market influences to uh, change the whole environment behind it. And since it's a more efficient structure... It's a structure that I believe someday we can start using more and more of. And with the Mexico City Airport, I'm starting to see that some of it is starting to go that direction. Some are starting to see these designs and use them to benefit their buildings. It's happening in real life. And and it's happening. And we'll talk about in more episodes how the larger implication of the fractal designs are. This is one small little aspect a small little uh, microcosm, if you will, of fractal architecture just in these support beams. So in another episode, next episode, we'll talk more in depth about broader ideas and we'll bring in small little things like dendril architecture uh, in this episode to explain this way people know what that is and what I'm talking about when we're talking about broader subjects. I could throw in the word dendril and it not be something I've got to sit and break down. Right, because you spoke about it previously. So thanks, Deej. Also, we'll have to have uh, some episodes on quantum level type. We will. Actually, thinking, maybe so. the next episode will be on quantum theory. Good stuff. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you guys for joining us today. If you want or have any questions or comments, you can email me at fractalexploratorium at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram with the handle at Fractal Exploratorium. I want everybody to have a nice rest of your day or night.